For more than three decades, my dad, Mike Worf, entertained and informed Detroit, Windsor, and Great Lakes radio listeners with a long-running WJR radio program, Kaleidoscope. Hi, this is Peter Worf. My dad died this past November. He was 88. And I want to thank all of you for your kind wishes and remembrances over the past month. Mike Worf was a beloved husband and father and a great guy. We laughed a lot together until his very last days. Dad loved history and reading and music, which served him well as he's probably best remembered for the daily radio documentary called Kaleidoscope. The hour-long WJR fixture combined my dad's rich-voiced storytelling with music, interviews, and countless recorded sounds to recall the people and events that shaped today's world. Presenting a new exciting radio program. December 7th, 1941. An amazing and incredible personality. On today's presentation of Kaleidoscope, here is the emotion-packed story. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not. Champion of the oppressed. We must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. A journey that takes us millions of miles from the Earth. Godspeed, John Glenn. Columbus, Magellan, Orville, and Wilbur Wright. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Now there's a new word to describe that Oldsmobile thrill. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Go get him, Tiger. He swings the line shot. Base hit. Right field. To remember Mike Worf and to bring you something for the holiday season, we'll now bring you a program from the 1990s, taking us to the remarkable creation of the George Frederick Handel masterwork, Messiah. But first, a conversation with me and my dad from a few years ago, talking about his time with Kaleidoscope and the episode that earned him a 1968 Peabody Award after learning of the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And I said, I have to do a program on that. So I did a sort of a biography, essentially what it was, biography and sound, and lent the proper music to it, you know, We Shall Overcome, and all these kinds of things that he had, music when he grew up and uh, in the Baptist church and that sort of thing, and I, and I em- embraced it with all of that. And it was a, it was a good show, and very, uh, very touching, and it was because it was a sad time. Right. I mean, people were really uh, devastated by that. Sometime later, uh, Dan Burke called me up on the phone. He says, hey, guess what? I said, what? He said, we won the Peabody Award. I said, what do you mean, we? <laughs> <laughs> Kaleidoscope won the Peabody yeah. Award for yeah. the Martin Luther King the program. Martin Luther King show, yeah, yeah, essentially. Although you had to send in a cross-section of the kind of work that you did. So I said something, you know. Than in the Western or whatever it might have been, you know. What are some other programs that stand out that you remember? Uh, individual programs or series, award winners. You won a number of awards from the American Freedoms Foundation for uh, programs they about were, American topics. They were very generous in their uh, giving me, uh, uh, you know, plaudits along the way because of, I'd send them in almost any every year. And that's what the show, it was about pioneers and explorers and, and politicians and presidents and poets and, you know, all the rest of the, the, the wonderful things that uh, happened to this country. And that was a joy to do, too, because it, it was filled with American history. And I was able to tell a lot of the history that uh, you would find unsavory. You know, it wasn't all, you know, 
godmother country. It was it was uh, a lot of the things that we were doing that had a lot of a, a tinge to it that right. was, was not favorable. It's quite a few programs I remember that you produced in partnership with your nephew, my cousin, Charles Westcott. Ah, Charlie was a great guy, great guy, very talented too. He wrote, he wrote some marvelous things for me, and uh, he's so good-natured about it. He, I, I never knew anybody quite as, as pleasant as he could be to be working. You know, he just loved it. He loved to write. And he wrote some great stories, uh, stories that um, he wrote one called Home Again, which was a young man who comes back from uh, uh, December 7th, 1941. He survived a uh, 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 Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. A left turn, two blocks more, and he was there, the house he had grown up in. It had seemed huge to him when he was a boy, all long stairways and cozy little rooms that seemed endless in number. Plenty of hiding places for childhood treasures and an attic that held adventure and mysteries of the past. But he had been out to see the world and the house looked tiny to him now, although the feelings of a small boy were still with him. Each part of the house awakening memories, the thought of them sending stabs of sorrow through his heart. The front steps where he had slipped and chipped a tooth. The parlor window, which had never been strong enough to stop the baseball that had flown erratically from his hand. The old elm tree under whose leafy branches his father had sat watching the sun die a slow death on a long, hot summer evening. I should mention Charlie was a United States Marine Corps captain, yeah. a Vietnam veteran, so he could uh, speak about stories like oh, that yeah. firsthand. Yeah, yeah, he had a, he had a knowledge of, of, that, of the military kind of thing. What about uh, sort of listener reaction, letters, phone calls, uh, in-person conversations? Mm-hmm. What kind of reaction did you get when you first started producing and broadcasting Kaleidoscope? Well, I'll never forget there was a fellow that called me one time. He says, oh, you're Mike Wharf. He says, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such steel company. He says, you know, he says, I lost about $125,000 worth of business because of you. And I said, why? What, 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 did I, what did I do? And he said, well, you got this show that I was listening to, and I was supposed to meet somebody at 1130. <laughs> and I started listening to the show, and I forgot all about it. And the next thing you know, it's 12 o'clock, and I'm a half hour late. <laughs> it's funny. So, uh, but, you know, the things, the stories like that. And then a lot of, we had a lot of mail and a lot of phone calls. A lot, a lot of phone calls because that was the easiest way for people to communicate, you know. What's a show you can remember where you finished it and you just thought to yourself, yeah, I nailed it? Holiday shows were big. Uh, people loved the holiday shows, uh, whether or not it was Christmas or, or patriotic holiday. And, and patriotic holidays were, were, you know, there were a few of them. And we observed every one of Memorial Day, Armistice Day. The day the war began, the day the war ended. You know, all these shows that, that came to light uh, uh, from people's experiences. And so it is from now until 9 o'clock. On the two programs that I am privileged to host, I turn to some meaningful prose and appropriate music in recapturing who and what we are. Permit me to present some historical documentation, anecdotal material significant definition, and the hymns and anthems in tribute to the fallen. This is Peter Worf. 
That was me and my dad, Mike Worf, remembering a few stories about his long-running Detroit radio show, Kaleidoscope. We'll reach into the archives now, back to 1997, for a program my dad made that's just in time for the holidays. Here's Mike Worf with a Christmas classic. Hope you enjoyed this special edition of Kaleidoscope on WRCJ-FM. text from the Bible in front of him, a 56-year-old composer deep in debt and considered a failure, composed one of mankind's greatest expressions of hope and brotherhood, the famous Christmas masterpiece, The Messiah. Today we bring you a special holiday narrative in the spirit of Christmas as we present the inspiring story of how George Friedrich Handel wrote the great hymn to brotherhood that has been played, sung, produced, and recorded from Maine to Madagascar, the profoundly moving cantata, Messiah. nervous rush of Christmas shopping and the tinsel glitter of shop window displays, you're apt to forget the real meaning of Christmas. For Christmas is more than buying gifts. It is a holiday symbolizing the birth of the child and the brotherhood of man. A magnificent expression of this is music. The indestructible oratorio, Handel's inspired messiah. All over the world it spreads its message, expressing humanity's craving for inner peace, security, and love. The story you are about to hear is based upon pure fact, upon Handel's own words and letters. You'll also hear portions of his famous oratorio, which is based on passage in the Bible. On our presentation, In the Spirit of Christmas, Kaleidoscope presents The Christmas Masterpiece. And I'll begin with our program, but first let's take this brief time out for these messages from our sponsors. You've got to have art. All you really need is art. When those little things in life make you frown, come on down and get a start. First you got to have art. A great Rembrandt, look what we've got. A great Rodin, look what we've got. A great museum, look what we've got. Films, food, carpets, and shops, yeah, we've got art. Miles and miles and miles of art. When those little things in life make you low, you ought to see men go and take heart. So what's the heck's the use of waiting? Come down here now. If you never loved art, we're going to show you how and to help you out. We've got art. you got to have Yeah. 
Funding for the broadcast of this program is provided by the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Support also comes from Detroit's Fort Street Chorale, an all-volunteer, no-audition choir dedicated to singing some of the greatest sacred works in the Western canon. More information at fortstreet.org slash chorale. And now, in the spirit of Christmas, a Christmas masterpiece, the story of how George Handel wrote the Messiah in 24 inspired days. Let us start with the first day, August 22nd, the year 1741. It was a warm day in London. Everyone complained of the heat and discomfort. That is, almost everyone. One person certainly was unaware not only of the heat of the day, but of the day, the year. In fact, George Friedrich Handel was unaware of anything but the new work he had begun that very day. His face was flushed. His eyes were alive and glowing. He seemed to shed his 56 years as he worked, and he felt like a young man again. As he sat down to compose in the little front room of his house at 57 Lower Brook Street in Hanover Square, London, he was equally unaware that he was about to embark on the 24 most important days of his life. Not once, for 24 days, would he leave the small house on Brook Street, and rarely would he even leave his room. Never before had the music poured from him so easily. It was almost as if the work wrote itself. Why, already he had the first chorus section completed. Handel looked at the sheet of paper in his hand. It was the text for his new work. An acquaintance, Charles Jennings, had given it to him. Jennings was a wealthy, pompous amateur poet who had been infuriating England's literary critics by rewriting Shakespeare. But this summer he had worked out a text based on the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments. As Handel examined the words, he decided he would write his composition in three parts. The first would deal with a prophecy the nativity, and the results of the birth of Christ. The second would deal with the passion story and the triumphant spread of Christianity. The third section would be about life in the world to come.
And so Handel worked on. The first day passed into the second, the second into the third, and still that first rush of energy, enthusiasm, and inspiration that usually accompanies the start of a creative project had not in the least worn off. Handel, who had been a disappointed man, facing bankruptcy twice, considered a failure by his contemporaries in London. Handel, who had reached the lowest ebb of his entire life just a few short months ago, in November, when he had withdrawn from public life after closing of his latest opera, Deidemia. This same George Friedrich Handel was now aglow with fresh inspiration and creative happiness. If his manservant had not brought meals to his room and urged him to eat, he would have neglected food altogether. Nothing seemed important to him but the setting of these words to music. Thank you. 
Kaleidoscope, highlighting the story of George Friedrich Handel's and the writing of the Oratorio Messiah. Undoubtedly, you've heard it performed over the Yuletide, perhaps uh, performing yourself in this splendid oratorio. An insight and some of the story behind the writing of this masterpiece. And in a moment, I'll continue on Kaleidoscope, but first, these words. <laughs> Everybody ready? Comic books and rubber bands Climbing to the treetop Falling down and holding hands Tricycles and red pop Pony rides and Sunday nights Roller skates and yo-yos Fairy tales and snowball fights Climbing through the window Remember when you were a kid Well, part of you still is And that's why we make Freddy go Funding for the broadcast of this program is provided by the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Support also comes from Detroit's Fort Street Chorale, an all-volunteer, no-audition choir dedicated to singing some of the greatest sacred works in the Western canon. More information at fortstreet.org slash chorale. The fourth day passed, and the fifth, and the sixth. And on the seventh day, the first part was completed. Seven days in which Handel had seen no one but his manservant, had had little sleep, little food, and little fresh air. And yet, contrary to the laws of nature, he was thriving on it. This was work into which a man could throw himself. Not like the Italian operas he had been writing for English audiences these past few decades. Operas with names like Circe, Atlanta, Faramondo. Operas with mechanical plots and little life. He had lived in the glare of public life and court intrigue and had made many enemies among rival composers. His operas had drawn satiric fire from such writers of the day as Addison and Steele. In fact, Addison had said in one issue of The Spectator, There is no question that our great-grandchildren will be very curious to know the reason why their forefathers used to sit together like an audience of foreigners in their own country and to hear whole plays acted before them in a tongue which they did not understand. But this new work wasn't an opera. It was a fairly new art form in England called the Oratorio, which is a choral work based upon the Bible. 
and Handel was not concerned while writing it with what his critics or rival composers would have to say, nor was he concerned with where, when, or how this new work might be performed. He only knew it had to be written, and just as quickly as he could get it down. The eighth day, the ninth, the tenth. Now it was September, and Handel seemed to be in a dream, a trance. His servant frequently left food for him, only to return in an hour or so to find the food untouched and Handel staring into space. All his life, music had seemed to him more important than all else, even as a child in Germany where he was born. His father had been a barber surgeon of moderate means. Handel was the child of a second marriage. At the time of his birth, his mother was 32 and his father 61 years of age. Handel's father had had great hopes for him to become a lawyer. And to please his father, he had studied law briefly. In those days, music was not considered a respectable profession. But someone so full of music as George Frederick Handel could not stay away from music long. With the help of a maiden aunt who lived with the Handels, he would steal away from home for music lessons. Yes, music had always been more important than anything else, or anybody. His music had brought many women to his feet. London society women had crowded about him, anxious to get him into their salons. And he seemed to have a way with them. He loved to battle with a bright conversationalist of the opposite sex, but only twice in his life did the question of marriage ever seriously occur to him. And only once did he ever go so far as to become engaged. That affair had ended abruptly when the mother of the girl objected to her daughter's marrying a musician. He must give up his music or her daughter. The decision was not an easy one. But music had always come first. And now, alone in his small room on Brook Street, music was not only first, it was all. Just nine days after the first part of his new work had been completed, he finished 
Part 2.
You are listening to Kaleidoscope and our presentation, The Christmas Masterpiece. We'll take this brief time out for these words from our sponsors, after which I'll continue. This is Willie Horton. I'm here to tell you that it's for real. Cause this summer, Detroit is happening. It's happening. Man, if you live in Detroit, then you're living in the most uptight and out of sight, swinging city in the whole country. And whatever you want to do this summer, from a job to a jam session. It's happening. Call 224. Call 224. 644. 644. Oh. Call 224. Call 224. 644. 644. Oh. That's the happiness center, baby. Let Detroit happen for you. Woo! Detroit is happening. Job happens. Sports happens. Woo! Concert. Day camp. Dad. Hop happens. Talent shows. Art Woodshop. Drama group. And caution happens. Anything and everything. Woo! And if you want it, you got it, baby, because Detroit is happening. You sure will. All you have to do is call the Happiness Center, 224-6440, and tell them Willie Horton said. Funding for the broadcast of this program is provided by the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Support also comes from Detroit's Fort Street Chorale, an all-volunteer, no-audition choir dedicated to singing some of the greatest sacred works in the Western canon. More information at fortstreet.org slash chorale. It took Handel just six more days to complete the last part of Messiah. And then he spent two days filling in instrumentation. The work was completed by September 14th, just 24 days from the day he began. 24 days that Handel lived in a kind of dream. In those 24 days, he must have reached a height of happiness that few men ever know. And in those 24 days, the music that rushed from him was on a scale of grandeur that is not often attained. His servant told of one incident. Handel had just finished part two with the famous Hallelujah Chorus when the servant entered the room. Handel was seated at a table and tears were streaming from his eyes. He said, I think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself.
Handel's Messiah was composed with feverish speed and inner urgency. It is not, as some believe, a theatrical narration of the martyrdom and accession of Christ, but a simple creed of Christian belief with absolutely nothing to do with martyrdom and ascension. Handel planned to present his oratorio in Ireland at Easter time. Neil's Music Hall on Fishhamel Street in Dublin was hired for April 13, 1742. Because the hall was built to hold but 600 people, ladies were asked to attend without hoops in their skirts and gentlemen were requested to leave their swords at home so that more people could be seated. Prices for admission ranged from the equivalent of about 50 cents to $2. The orchestra was composed of only 30 players, and the choir consisted of only 30 men, no women. The Messiah was received as a masterpiece. A review of the performance stated, all classes of society are touched, tears are visible on every cheek, enemies are for a time reconciled.
Although Handel's Messiah was received with great acclaim in Ireland, its London premiere was less successful, and the oratorio was not performed again for four years. Handel made some changes in the score, and in 1749 he announced another presentation of the work in London. This time it sustained four performances, and society once more called him one of the greatest living composers. The Easter performance of his Messiah for the benefit of the Foundling Hospital in London was an annual event from 1750 to 1758. Hundreds of gatecrashers besieged the hall, wigs were torn off, dresses were crushed, and throngs of horse-drawn carriages created bedlam outside the streets. The excerpt he was despised, and which caused Handel himself to cry, never failed to move his audiences deeply. When George Frederick Handel died on Good Friday, April 13, 1759, the anniversary of the first performance of his great Messiah, he left the precious manuscript to the Foundling Hospital in London. There the score and parts lay discarded on the shelves of the chapel library for more than 100 years. It was not until 1896 that they were rediscovered by the Foundling Hospital organist, who immediately set about planning a commemorative performance. During the years following 1896, many commemorative performances of Handel's Messiah were given at Westminster Abbey, the Albert Hall, and at the Crystal Palace. A new generation was exposed to the masterpiece. When Beethoven lay on his deathbed, a friend sent him the complete works of Handel. Looking through them, Beethoven simply said, There is the truth.
will conclude with today's presentation following this final timeout for these words from our sponsors. Get in the habit, it doesn't take much. Always take the time to buckle up. All across America, more and more people are getting into the life-saving habit of buckling their safety belts. Buckle up, buckle, buckle up. Buckle up those safety belts. In fact, they found that after buckling up a few times, they become as good at it as their friends and neighbors. It doesn't take time and it doesn't take much, so remember to buckle up. Start a habit for life. Buckle up, America. Funding for the broadcast of this program is provided by the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Support also comes from Detroit's Fort Street Chorale, an all-volunteer, no-audition choir dedicated to singing some of the greatest sacred works in the Western canon. More information at fortstreet.org slash chorale. This is your host, Mike Worf. I thank you for joining us, not only today, but throughout the past year. And I extend to you an invitation to be with us in the coming of the new year. As once again, we turn to focus on events, personalities, biography, history, the story of current events, the story of people and places, the story of our lives. Thank you for joining us, and have a great seven days ahead. Thanks for listening to this special WRCJ production of Kaleidoscope, a Christmas masterpiece with material from the 1997 broadcast of Mike Worf's Kaleidoscope from WJR. I'm your host and producer, Peter Worf. This program was a production of WRCJ FM and HD1 in Detroit. You can hear it again at our website at wrcjfm.org.